We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Sanders gets it left side. Big room and a touchdown for Sanders. His second. Throws to the end zone. Touchdown. Adam Thielen makes the catch. Throws over the middle. It's caught by the former Raven. Hayden Hurst reaches for the goal line. In for the touchdown. Deep one. End zone. Caught. Touchdown. DJ Chark, the over-the-shoulder grab. And now Brady under pressure, and he's brought down. Back at the 27-yard line by Brian Burns. And it's picked. J.C. Horn. Panthers have it, and will score. It's taken into the end zone by Jeremy Chin. Bryce Young, off-play action, deep ball into the end zone. Oh, what a throw on the money for the touchdown. Oh, yes, sir, how sweet it is to get win number one on the season. Welcome into a much happier, a much perkier edition of the Roar Podcast. Panthers are off the schneid. They're 1-6 now with a big win over the Houston Texans. I'm your host, John Ellis. Going to be joined by Billy Marshall this week. Looking forward to that as we break down a little more of the broader view of this team right now near the midway point of the season and what to expect in the second half of this 2023 season and has had its share of ups and downs, no doubt about it. Uh, had a chance to be at the stadium yesterday, not only covering the game for 99.7 The Fox, but also uh, spending some time with my son Andrew, uh, who is a big fan, has been for, I would say, the, the latter part of the last half decade. And it was good for him, I think, and a lot of the fans out there to be in attendance for a win in which it was Hall of Honor Day. The Panthers honoring two of their greats, Masin Muhammad, who had some incredible seasons here, not only with the Panthers, but don't forget, went on to play for the Chicago Bears, one of the few players to catch a touchdown for two different teams in a Super Bowl, did for both teams. And Julius Peppers, who had some great moments in the first uh, almost decade of his career here in Carolina, moved on in 2009 to the Chicago Bears, of course, and then moves on to the Packers, comes back for a little uh, you know, closing things out, if you will, had 10-plus sacks. I believe it was age 37 he was back in 2017. And it was great to see those guys in attendance as well as everybody else from the Hall of Honor, Wesley Walls, Jake DeLome, of course, Jordan Gross, and Steve Smith in attendance as well. Roger Goodell was there. So you know it's big doings when the commissioner is there. But it was a great atmosphere, great day for Panthers football. And want to take you through the highs and lows there from what we saw yesterday at Bank of America Stadium. And I guess we start out with uh, what was the end of the game. I mean, I know we're going in reverse here. We should probably start at the beginning. The tape is still coming in, still getting a chance to look at the film. But 
want to give you sort of my outlook from being in the stands uh, at an all-22 view there behind the uh, end zone in which it was coming towards us uh, at the end of the game there. Final score, 15-13. to 13. In the fourth quarter, the Panthers held the ball for 9 minutes 51 seconds as opposed to the Texans, 5 minutes and 9 seconds. Uh, they had 8 first downs in that fourth quarter as opposed to the Texans, 2. Uh, they were 1 of 5 on third down, so again, not very efficient, but they held Houston to 0 of 2. They were also 1 of 1 on fourth down, Carolina was. And it was a huge fourth down conversion that we'll talk about later in the show here that sort of propelled this drive. But when you look where they started, this game was back and forth. It was a slugfest. Bryce Young will give you some of the numbers later in the show. I thought it was his best game as a pro. Against a defense that was constantly bringing pressure, bringing blitzes, bringing, uh, you know, there were times where it was single high safety, then they were playing the split safety stuff. Panthers with 617 left to go in the game. Let's just walk you through what happened here. First down to 10 from their own nine-yard line. Bryce Young incomplete. They're second and nine. They're second and ten now, I should say, from the nine-yard line. Short pass to Chuba Hubbard for 12 yards. Again, playing smart, controlled football in pressure pack situations. Then you get into first and ten from the 21. You get a defensive offsides penalty. That moves you to first and five from the 26. Bryce Young hits Jonathan Mingo, who had a big day there. And then they start going backwards. A sack on first and ten around the five-minute mark from the 45-yard line. And that's where you start to think, you know what? I don't know if this can happen. Because you see the limitations with this passing game, with this uh, pass blocking unit in particular. But they managed to make up those yards, those 19 yards. Bryce scrambled, left side, seven yards. Former Panther Denzel Perryman, who was pretty active in this game, uh, was in on the tackle there. Then they get to a third and 12. And you find Adam Thielen for 10 yards. So they're not trying to get it all back in one you know, swoop there. Get it to fourth and two. And Frank Reich had talked about this today, and I got to look at it closer on film. But there was a play where Thielen, out there on the left side uh, of the offensive formation, uh, catches a three-yard pass when they need two yards to keep the drive going. And there was a little bit of confusion, not to put it all on Miles Sanders, who was playing on the boundary there, but a little bit of confusion in terms of communication. And you had two guys there in the same area at the end of the game, and that's never a good thing. You don't want two guys in the same route uh, sort of target zone there, if you will. But nonetheless, great concentration by Thielen to bring that ball in, and that's the value, I think, of having an Adam Thielen on your team. Then you get a fresh set of downs, and this is where it gets good. Because you know at that point, Houston has all three timeouts left. Again, at that point, it is a uh, 13-12 to game. Carolina's trailing by one. So Houston has plenty of time. Plenty of weapons to get the ball back if Carolina's not going to be aggressive. Carolina decides in that moment with Thomas Brown calling plays for the first time to keep it on the ground, to move the ball as much as they can in that short area, you know, zone there. Go back to what happened on first down after the fourth and two conversion. There's 2.42 on the clock. Bryce Young dumps it off to Hubbard, who makes a nice move down the sideline, 14-yard completion. That takes him all the way from the flip side of the field on the negative side of the field all the way to the 30-yard line at that point. Within Pinheiro's range, but remember, Eddie Pinheiro, who's been very good here in Carolina for the most part, you worry about certain situational kicks. He missed an extra point earlier in this game. So that takes you down to the two-minute warning. Houston's got all their timeouts left. Hubbard up the middle, four yards. Houston calls a timeout. You get into a second and six. Hubbard up the middle, four yards. 
Not bad. Takes you down to third and two. Another timeout is used by Houston. And the biggest play, I think, of the game. Hubbard, middle, for three yards. Three yards. Which gives them the first down, the fresh set of chains, and the clock in that position is completely in their favor. Uh, They run a couple of plays after that uh, from inside their 20 to get position. And I was not surprised. A lot of fans were hoping maybe take a shot at the end zone there. I think he was smart with Houston out of timeouts. Look, if you're paying a kicker uh, any type of salary in this league, you got to trust him to make from that range. So they try to get the ball centered, and then all chaos breaks out as they get into a 4th and 11 from the 20. They call a timeout with just a few seconds left, and then Houston does what we've all done on Madden before. You get desperate. And Frank Reich talked about this during his press conference today as we come to you on a Monday afternoon. Still, by the way, no trade deadline news to speak of as of right now. We'll give you updates as we go along. And, of course, more podcasts will follow this week. Look at what happened. Houston goes off sides. And then Houston goes off sides again. And then gets an unsportsmanlike penalty. Two unsportsmanlike conducts in a row. And the second one, Pinheiro actually made the kick, but they waved it off because of the second unsportsmanlike penalty. And then finally, with uh, you know at the five-yard line, this is the old extra point range, pretty much. Pinheiro knocks him with 23-yard yard field goal, I should say, uh, with time expiring. It was great pageantry. The fans were excited. The, you could see the sideline. Jubilation. I know DJ Johnson, a lot was made of him running on the field and I think tweaking his hamstring or maybe cramping up. I think he's going to be okay in the long run. But uh, a statement win, I think, in a lot of ways for Bryce Young. Um, you look at the total stats here in this game, just from uh, start to finish here. What the Texans were going to be able to do, I think, and, and we kind of knew this, was be stout up front. They did collect six sacks. There's a larger conversation to be had upon film review of what plagues this pass protection unit. Now, uh, Ike Aquano certainly had a couple of moments that he would like to have back. The running game was not good at all. 24 carries, 44 yards, 1.8 yards per carry. Take the Bryce Young seven-yard run out of that. He had his longest was seven. Then it's 23 carries, 37 yards, and well under 1.8 yards per carry. That's not sustainable. But there are positives here I want to point out in a minute. Now you look at Young, 22 of 31, 235. He had the touchdown to Tommy Trimble that we'll go over in a minute. No interceptions, no fumbles. He was sacked multiple times. Adam Thielen targeted 11 times. He's becoming the favorite there. Eight receptions, 72 yards, 31 was a long, and that was a dot that Bryce Young, when he rolled out to his left, put the ball up there near the pylon, and uh, it's frustrating in the red zone. They've got to be better there, but Thielen makes a great catch over a defender, backing up, keeps his feet in bounds. I thought Jonathan Mingo had a great day. Five targets, four receptions, 62 yards, 15 and a half yards per reception, had a long of 40. Here's the explosive plays you're looking for. Chark had a 20-yard play. Thielen had a 31-yard play. Mingo had a 40-yard play. Hubbard was great out of the backfield. So was uh, Raheem Blackshear, who we've been calling for for a long time. And and Trimble, not only in the blocking game, but in the receiving game, was good in the short red area down there. Had that nice motion play early in the game where he caught the touchdown before halftime. And they did what they had to do. Blackshear was great on kickoff returns, too. You talk about getting hidden yardage. Three kickoff returns for 107 yards, 35.7 average, whereas the Texans only had a 22-yard average on their kick returns. And again, give a hat tip to the defense here. 
You really have to. They hold the Texans overall to 5 of 12 on third down, which is not great, but not bad. Only 16 first downs. Uh, And look, the whole narrative coming into this was C.J. Stroud versus Bryce Young. How would they look stacked against one another on opposite sides of the ball, obviously? And that's a dangerous game to play this early in their careers, and I'm not going to take too much of the bait on that because I think Stroud has been terrific this year. But again, without looking at all the tapes so far, I thought the Panthers did a great job keeping him uncomfortable, keeping him off his spot. Uh, You look at the amount of rushing plays they had in this game. Houston stayed dedicated to the run game and with mixed results. Uh, 30 carries, 110 yards, only 3.7 yards per carry. Now, they broke off a couple of uh, 12-plus yard runs in this game, whereas the Panthers were stifled in that department. But I thought it was a good job against Stroud, who finished the game on the whole 16-24, 140 yards passing, one of his lowest totals of the year, didn't throw a pick, came close a couple times, no touchdowns in this game. But some of the big differences here, penalties, that was huge. Texans had 10 for 70. They should have had an 11th there at the end when Bryce Young on that last drive was hit. And uh, I, the official had an explanation for it. I, I think any time when a quarterback slides and somebody's coming in late um, on it, I, I think it's got to be called a flag, but that's just my opinion. The bigger storyline here, the Panthers, who have been one of the most penalized teams this season, if not the most on average, three penalties 20 yards. Exceptional stuff. They won the turnover battle one to nothing. That's a rarity for this team. And that makes all the difference in the world for a Panthers team who uh, has has been through a lot since uh, taking over this regime. Frank Reich uh, has been through a ton in terms of having to sort of figure out what to do with himself. Am I a play caller? Am I a head coach? Can I delegate this to Thomas Brown? I think there's a lot to grow from from this game, but I think there's a lot to look at and say, you know what? When the penalties and the time management and the timeout management cleans up and Frank Reich is no longer holding the dinner menu, I I felt we were watching Frank on the sidelines covering the game yesterday, watching him without the, uh, we call it the dinner menu, it's the play call sheet. He looked like an actor that didn't know what to do with his hands. <laughs> For those who have ever taken acting classes or ever made a TV appearance, I do this from time to time. I'm on I'm on the tube, and I'm doing a live stand-up or a live uh, spot, you know, just being interviewed for the Panthers side of things, and I don't know what to do with my hands. I use them a lot, by the way. But uh, it, was, it was odd seeing Frank Reich without the play call sheet. I think Thomas Brown being on the field gives them an advantage in terms of communication, energy. I thought the communication was great. Bryce was in and out of the huddle consistently with about 20 seconds on the play clock. That's huge. This is from our buddy Nick Carboni. Bryce Young's 22 completions on Sunday extended his streak of completing 20 or more passes to six games to start his career. He joins Justin Herbert, Kyler Murray as the only rookie quarterbacks in NFL history to do so in their first six games. 20 or more pass completions. So they're giving him a lot. He's throwing the ball a lot, and he's completing a lot of passes. He's efficient. Uh, it also is, is quick to point out, we were leaving the game, and I started thinking about fourth-quarter comebacks. Because when you see something happen, whether you're in the stands or at home watching this team, and it feels different, it feels unusual, it feels special, you try to think back as to what, what, what's the difference here? What, 
what was the differentiating factor between what this win was? Because, you know, Matt Rule had some wins in his regime. Steve Wilkes certainly had his share of wins last season. But did you know, and I posted this yesterday at One Panther Place, the win over Houston Sunday was the Panthers' first fourth-quarter game-winning drive at home since Week 5, 2018. Yeah, that's over five years. That was Week 5. That was well before, um, you know, where we are in this season right now. There was, I think, five uh, games into four games into that season. It was uh, Graham Gano's uh, famous 60-plus-yard walk-off field goal at the end of the game. And as uh, some have posted here, like J.C. Mahoney, our good friend on Twitter, felt like it. Hell yeah. And <laughs> it did. It felt like it was an eternity since the Panthers had had that type of moment. You know what I mean? Moment. Now, again, it's it's not anything you're going to look back at and say, wow, that was a beautiful game. But, you know, Cam Newton had a game like this early in his career. His first ever win was a game-winning drive and a two-point two point conversion, I should say, on top of that against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Again, a much uglier game, a lot of rain in that game, but Cam lugged them down the field and got it done. And it reminded me a little bit about that game uh, in terms of the overall structure of you know a lot of defensive plays in that game being made by both teams, albeit not a lot of turnovers. Hat tip to Dante Jackson, by the way. I thought he played an outstanding game, and he got the nice punch out. Um, got the ball on the ground, Xavier Woods. Good to see him back on the field. Some of these veterans making a big difference in this game yesterday. For the first time in five years, and this was the big problem in the Mad Rule regime, the inability for this team. Uh, and, and, you know, with Wilkes, too, there were games where they got the lead, they built on it, like Seattle comes to mind, Detroit comes to mind. But, and it's no fault of e- each of these coaches, it's just where they're at in terms of having the ability to have a quarterback who can, with, you know, the game on the line. I was talking to my son during the game, and I said, you know what, six minutes, this could go three and out. Punt it back, get your defense ready, but if they can just convert a couple of these first outs and not panic and not try to get it in one chunk, then they can milk this thing all the way down to about three minutes, and then you're in a situation, if you happen to get on the plus side of the field with three minutes left, even though they have three timeouts, the first first down you get after the two-minute warning, if they hold onto those timeouts, then you put them in position, if they burn their timeouts by then, they're in a problem spot. It was the perfect storm. Really, the, the ability to get four, four, and three yards on those three runs by Hubbard, it made them burn their timeouts within the structure of a, a first down set of chains there, if you will. If it had been a nine-yard run, then maybe you have a chance to reset. I, yeah, there's a lot of ways to look at it from a clock management standpoint. Maybe Houston, some teams would have opened up the gap there and let them on that third down score. Um, but, you know, the Miko Ryan's teams are not typically going to be the ones to do that. And I give the Houston Texans a lot of credit. That's a tough physical team. A team that had boat raced Jacksonville, boat raced Pittsburgh earlier this season, among other teams. They came in 500. And, you know, you don't want to overstate one game. There's a lot to clean up. And we're going to cover that later in the week in terms of pass protection. Um, there were a couple of plays in the game where the, the run blocking didn't seem to be in rhythm. And, you know, Austin Corbett's back in the lineup. That's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. That helps them stabilize this unit. A lot of talk about Ike Aquanu having a hard day. From my perspective on the field, it's hard to get a first glance and say, you know what, not only uh, did Ike have a bad game, which I'm not going to ever come out and say, oh, he was awful, but is he struggling? Yeah, certainly. He's not playing up to the level of a first-round high, first-round pick at left tackle in terms of pass pro. And so that's something you've got to be a little bit concerned about. 
Hey, y'all, it's John Ellis, host of the Roar Podcast for Price Picks. Price Picks is the largest independently owned daily fantasy sports platform in North America, the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. It's just you against the numbers. Price Picks is the most fun I've had winning up to 25 times my money this football season. You select two or more players, pick more or less on their projected stats, and place your entry. Testing my skills on prize picks this football season is the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. It's simple to play. I can make my picks, submit my entry in less than 60 seconds. Quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, and an enormous selection of players and stat types are what make Price Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. This week for Monday Night Football, I'm going to go more than 265 and a half passing yards for Jared Goff for the Lions, and let's go less than 252.5 passing yards for Jimmy Garoppolo for the Raiders on Monday Night Football. Price Picks offers weekly promotions that can lead to big payouts like Taco Tuesday. Each Tuesday, Price Picks discounts select player projections up to 25% to provide even more value. Price Picks now offers Apple Pay for quick and easy deposits into your account this football season. Here's what you do. Go to pricepicks.com slash roar and use the code roar, R-O-A-R, for a first deposit match of up to $100. Pricepicks.com slash roar. Use the promo code ROAR for a first deposit match of up to $100. Daily fantasy sports made easy with prize picks. But the flow of the game was good. The management of the game was good. I thought, uh, once again, you look at the defensive side of the ball. Um, Brian Burns playing with a hurt elbow, got pressure on the quarterback, played some limited snaps there, of course, because he's hurt, but was able to get the quarterback down to the ground at least once. Frankie Louvu did the same. I think he had 12 tackles in this game. You're starting to see, I think, at least from this game, and you, you build on things like the fast start you had against uh, the Miami Dolphins before the bye week. You build on things like you did against uh, Detroit, where Bryce Young gets two early turnovers, and again, it got out of hand fast, but Bryce is still swinging his sword late in that game, driving the ball down the field. They've been close. They were close against New Orleans week two. Um, they were close in several other opportunities. So the Vikings game, they had that game. Pretty much one, but the difference again, penalties and turnovers. When you eliminate those and you become a team that can be reliable in terms of we're not going to let the other team take the game away from us. And Houston has thrived in that department this year. One of the best teams in not turning the ball over. And in terms of taking the ball away, they're very good. Uh, And uh, Carolina neutralized that in a big, big way. Moving forward to the trade deadline, don't really have any uh, understanding right now. It's about 3 o'clock on a Monday. Um, We've already seen a couple deals made. Leonard Williams, it looks like, is being dealt to the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, That's non-Panthers related, of course. But uh, later in the week, we'll probably have more comprehensive analysis if and when anybody gets dealt to to the Panthers, or from the Panthers for that matter. Uh, By the time you hear this podcast, that's a very real possibility. It's, it's quite possible that somebody would have been dealt by now or maybe some draft picks were accrued um, for another team uh, uh, by uh, you know trading for somebody for the Panthers. It, it's hard to, hard to know what's going to happen right now. Uh, the longer you get in this process, uh, the, the, probably the less tr- you know, glamorous, dramatic the trades are going to be. Uh, what I don't think is going to happen, and I, I could be very wrong on this, uh, I, I don't think a wide receiver out there on the market is going to be dealt to Carolina. Uh, but you never know. Uh, 
feels like the Brian Burns thing has slowed down a little bit. There's been reporting last week that suggested Burns is sort of off the table now. Um, I think that's probably prudent at this point. Uh, I don't think there's any guarantees a deal gets signed, but you always have the franchise tag. And I think Brian showing up playing hurt yesterday, making an impact when he could, is a good sign. Now, if there's two first-rounders still on the table somewhere, that's a discussion to be had. And I'm sure reporting after the trade deadline, as it always does, will reveal some of these potential offers that were or were not made. Um, we mentioned Terrace Marshall. You know, there's a guy to look out for as well. But we talked about this last week, and I know I got a lot of good feedback and a lot of, you know, feedback in general. Some good, some neutral, a little bit of negative, and that's fine. But most of it was overwhelmingly positive. The podcast I did last week talking about, you know, sort of the state of the Panthers, the state of the fans and, and, and where you are. And one rule Billy and I have always had is we, we try not to talk down to fans and tell you how to fan. It's just not where we're at. It's saying, you know, you want to. Get off the wagon for a few months and, and get some sanity when your team is 0-6 at that point. I totally get it. It's hard to invest time and energy into this product when it doesn't give you anything back. But there's also the mindset if you stick through it, you go through the hard moments, um, you come out the other side with wins, although there's no guarantees that'll ever happen in this league. It felt like the further you got away from their last win, the more impossible it felt. But if you stick through those hard times, it, it is a sweet feeling. And I know the sun's shining a little brighter today. The fans are a little happier today on a victory Monday. But you you see around the league right now. Look what's going on with San Francisco. Um, I'm not even talking about Wilkes, McCaffrey, any of the former Panthers right now. I'm talking just in generality with the league. They're 5-3 and three now. Uh, they're on a bit of a skid. A few weeks ago we were talking about Brock Purdy as an MVP candidate, and now he can't stop making mistakes. Look around the league. The Chiefs, uh, obviously a team that was the hottest in the league right now, show up to Denver yesterday. Now, Holmes was under the weather from what I understand, but they lay an egg against a team in Denver that suddenly found their defense after giving up a record 70 points to the Miami Dolphins. The Dolphins have had their own stumbles along the way here as the Eagles um, boat raced them the other night. And then the Eagles come back yesterday, and they're in a dogfight with the Commanders. You see it every week. Dallas lost to Arizona earlier this year. Um, you know, Atlanta yesterday. How about Will Levis throwing four touchdowns against what was a top five ranked defense led by defensive coordinator Ryan Nielsen? It happens in the NFL. And it's not to suggest the Panthers are in a good spot. Look, if you're a real sicko, I think, what are they, two and a half games back in the division now? Three, two and a half, something like that? We're not going to be on division watch yet. Billy and I had this conversation about this time last year when the division looked very similar in a lot of ways. But I'll continue to remind you for context reasons that what you see in the first quarter and a half of the season, which is about where they were six games in, first third of the season, basically. If if you're hanging in there and you're playing tough and some of these games you're playing are just bad mismatches, you're missing a lot of your pieces on both sides of the ball. There's no excuses in this league, and you, you, you earn everything in this NFL landscape, whether it's good or bad. But you look at what's going on with this team right now. I think they've stabilized a lot of what plagued them, and it was little things, just simple things. Procedure penalties, pre-snap penalties, communication issues, um, the inability to get explosive plays on offense. And, you know, you can point to the running game yesterday and say, ah, oh, you know what? This is not a good sign. The fact they can't run the ball, 
that's problematic. Well, the fact they couldn't run the ball, they're under two yards of carry. The fact that also they gave up six sacks is doubly problematic. But the fact the quarterback hung in there, hung tough against all of that adversity. And the pressure, whether he feels it or not, just the complete understanding that the narrative had been the Panthers got it wrong when they took Bryce Young. I'm not here to suggest they've got it right all of a sudden. I don't know yet. Like I've told you from the start, it's a 24-month process for me to get a view. And even when you get to that point, you can't live in a world of, well, you should have taken Stroud over Young. Two different systems, two different situations. The Panthers' pass catcher stepped up big in the second half. Mingo, Thielen, uh, Trimble early in that, I believe it was the first half, we got the touchdown. They stepped up big. And uh, certainly superlatives are, are to be handed out everywhere, including for Bryce Young, who was feeling a lot of the pressure. But when you watch him play, and this is what stood out on tape in Alabama, even in moments where they were down, even in moments against uh, you know superior uh, teams at times in terms of matchups, because uh, last season for Bryce in Alabama, they didn't have a whole lot of star weapons to throw to. He kept this cool, and you could see the calm in the pocket. And his ability to extend plays and still throw with accuracy. There's not a lot of balls being thrown by Bryce Young that are uncatchable. And uh, I think it's a very encouraging sign. So as we'll keep an eye on the trade deadline, as always, we'll give you an update later in the week. This is just a little 30-minute kind of pop-in to give you guys a little bit of my perspective on what happened yesterday. Again, a very solid, hard-fought, old-school type of game for the Panthers. They get the win. 15-13, 15-13, to 13, Eddie Pinheiro overcomes uh, a missed extra point early in the game, and they move on to 1-6, and six, and they keep their season, um, you know, whether you look at it as life support or whatever you think this season is, it gives them a building block. Winning is the only way forward. It, it is. You know, you, you can look at all the positives, the silver linings that we try to look at, and we've been quick to point the negatives out, how we put together a 10-minute film cut session last week of how bad the run defense has been. Much improved this week. For as often as they ran the ball, Carolina as a whole did a much better job. And early in the game, too, give guys like Derek Brown, Deshaun Williams credit for timing out some of these uh, reads and throws by Stroud to get their hands up and to knock the ball down. Highly encouraging stuff there by the Carolina Panthers. They moved to 1-6. and six, uh, Got an interesting 4.05 p.m. kickoff this weekend. Would have been fun to see Anthony Richardson face off against... Uh, Bryce Young, but it's not going to be. It'll be uh, Garter, Garter Minshew. And Garter Minshew is a guy that Carolina has seen before. Think back to the Hall of Honor game in 2019 when Minshew threw some nice dimes in that game. But he can be erratic. He can turn the ball over. Uh, it's a formidable team now. They get Jonathan Taylor cooking on all cylinders now. But defensively, I think there's some things you can do, especially with what you've seen the past couple of weeks against that defense. And hopefully the Panthers can settle in, get a more balanced attack. And now that Thomas Brown has his first game under his belt calling plays, We'll see what they do moving forward. Much more to come this week later on the Roar Podcast. Billy and I are reunited. Uh, I'd say midweek would be a good week, a good time to look for us here as uh, we'll look to get back together, give a more comprehensive view of what happened not only in this game, but sort of a preview of what to expect not only against the Colts coming up this weekend, but for the rest of the season. For Billy Marshall, I'm John Ellis. This has been the Roar Podcast brought to you as always by Prize Picks, right here on Blue Wire. Have a great rest of your winning Monday, fans.